it is the main task of the pastor at all. Here's one thing on the table. Pastor's tongue. What it should not be. What it should be. When a man goes to church, he often hears a preacher in the pulpit rehash everything that he has read in the editorials, the newspapers, and the magazines. On the TV commentaries, he hears that same stuff over again, yawns and goes out and plays golf on Sunday. When a man comes to church, actually what he is saying to you is this. Preacher, I know what the TV commentator has to say. I hear him every day. I know what the editorial writer has to say. I read it every day. I know what the magazines have to say. I read that every week. Preacher, what I want to know is, does God have anything to say? If God has anything to say, tell us what it is. God does have something to say. We must tell him what it is. This is why Faith Bible Church is devoted to expository preaching. Not that we don't talk about preaching once in a while, but try to go through books of the Bible, big chunks of the books of the Bible. And that means we strive to explain, to make plain. Such preaching is imperative. It manifests God's word. And here's another key reason for doing it. Christ himself did it. He taught the scriptures for years of his ministry, hours before he died, and on the day of his resurrection. Let's go back to that Sunday. We have a minimum five appearances of the risen Lord that day. Mark 69 says while Mary Magdalene was the first to see Jesus. That's post resurrection number one. A little bit later, the other woman saw him too. That's appearance number two. By now, all the women who were at the tomb early that day unite and agree in their witness. Not only was the grave empty, not only did the angels appear there, but Jesus is risen. How about the men? In general, they did not believe the woman's report at first. God does distinguish himself as one who believed upon entering and inspecting the tomb. There was something lacking in all. So, what these brothers lacked, the Lord looked ill as he appeared to them. Sometime after Peter saw the empty tomb, after Jesus appeared to the women, he met Peter one on one. Both 1 Corinthians 15, 5 and Luke 24, 34, based text confirms. That's post resurrection appearance number three. We're about to discuss the report starting in Luke 24, 13, so let's see what happens. If you don't have a Bible, just take one of ours on the pews there. Get from us to you. You'll find Luke 24 13 starting at page 741. 741. 24 13 to 35. Now, behold, two of them were 
were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed the reason that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so that they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed and word before God and all people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early, astonishment. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. They said to them, O foolish one, and still hard to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is for evening. The day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass that he sat at the table with them, that they took bread, blessed him, and broke it, and he gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour, returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. The outline of this passage is fairly simple if we consider the shifts in locations. First in verses 13 to 27, the author pulled from Jerusalem the Next in verses 28 to 33, or Finally, in verses 32 35, we return. Verse 35 actually encourages us to observe this instruction. But there's more to this story than that. Luke invites us to imitate Christ and the disciples as they encounter him at the Sunday. So here are what I call three lessons of the days. One, See Christ's suffering through the scriptures. See Christ's suffering through the scriptures. That's verses 13. Two, know Christ's identity in his true nature. Know Christ's identity in his true nature.
free proclaim Christ's resurrection to others. Proclaim Christ's resurrection to others. That's verses 38-35. First, see Christ's suffering from the scriptures. I'll spend the most time on this book. And I'll set the stage first for it. That's the road that we're going to call it. In verse 13, when it says, two of them, we're talking about two among those all of Jesus, but not among the eleven closest to him. One of them is named Cleopas. Some speculate that Cleopas is a variant spelling of Copas, and in fact, the same as Copas, the husband of one of the Marys at the cross, relative of Jesus. There's even further speculation that these two were, in fact, not Copas and Mary. Is that mixed? But I think there's an interpretation that these are men. I believe they were among the 70 Jesus sent out back in chapter 10. Regardless, the two travel out of Jerusalem, the northwest direction, to the little known village of Aeneas, where they Then they left after lunch hours, they arrived around 4 p.m. or so. Back to the starting point. As they left the city, the two disciples began talking and conversing about what had happened. The original word behind reason is translated elsewhere as dispute, question. The word in verse 17 also suggests a lively discussion, maybe even a heated debate. We're not sure at what point Jesus approached them and joined their company, I guess it was early in the journey. But they had no idea that it was him. Mark 16, 12 tells us he appeared in another form. On top of that, it says in today's passage, Luke 24, 16, that their eyes were restrained. Which begs the question, who restrained them? Combining grammar and theology, here's what some call divine passive. It's the Son of God himself. Restrained those eyes. Later, later in verse 31, he'll open those same eyes. They do not recognize Christ now, but they will later. So Jesus hides his identity and pretends to know nothing of Lazarus' events. Their downcast face changed to wide eyed shock. But it was kind of asked, Have you been living under a rock? Though the two disciples not only reviewed what had happened recently, they recounted the whole journey of faith and their recent disillusion. I say disillusionment because you see how Jesus is introduced and described. The two disciples are sure of the following. Jesus Nazareth was indeed a prophet mighty, indeed and worthy for God and all the people. That much is certain. Then their messianic hopes were dashed, and their own religious leaders killed him. Gone were their hopes that he would be the redeemer of Israel. Because of what happened Friday, they struggled with real doubts Sunday. Their confidence is reduced to infinite. To also share with their fellow traveler, 
becoming a person of hanging on the string of the cross and the That would lead easily to the concept of substitutionary atonement, the need for sacrifice for sins. If Jesus asked while discussing Exodus, is it just a coincidence that Jesus was crucified, Passover, all to preserve? Is blood not sprinkled in all the rain of At Leviticus, he could have discussed the day of atonement. You're telling me Jesus suffered outside the gate? Doesn't that remind us of how animals burned outside the camp? Is it random that the veil of the temple torn into from top to bottom? How about numbers? Remember when the Israelites complained to God in the wilderness and he sent fiery serpents as punishment? When they repented, the Lord instructed Moses to make a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. The event there parallels. Ongoing suffering from sin and death. At the cross, the Son of Man was lifted up above the earth. We can look upon him and believe in him for salvation. That's just a small sample from the books of Moses. Jesus could have easily spent the whole day in them, but he must have gone on the later books. Consider the Psalms of David. Since Christ is the seed of David, there's so many connections. Jesus was also betrayed by a trusted friend, as it says in Psalm 41. He was opposed by the rulers of the world, Psalm 27. Psalm 22 reads like the script of the cross. Cry of their religion, my God, my God, why have you forsaken All those who see their ridicule, they should not to live. They shake their head, saying, you trusted in the Lord, let him rescue him, let him deliver him since he denies him. Verses 7 to 8. They pierce my hands and my feet, they count all my bones, they took this there. They divide my garments among them, and put my clothing and cast on Verse 8 to 8. But then it goes on in verse 22 of Psalm 22. I will declare your name to my friend in the midst of the assembly. Whether we go from such desperate and painful circumstances to blissful worship, blissful worship gathering, from sufferings of Christ to the glories that follow. Here's the bridge from Psalm 16 and 11. You will not leave my soul in short, nor will you allow the Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand. That's just a sample of the songs. And move on without talking about the prophets. Like the Psalms of David, Isaiah 52 and 53 reveals why Christ had to suffer. Like the Psalms of David, you see, there's this figure, he's the servant of the Lord. And he shall be exalted and extolled. Very high. But before that, his visage was more than any man, his form more than the sons of man. His despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we did, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, we did not esteem him. Why did he have to suffer? I might as well go on to the rest of the chapter, starting from verse 4 in 
as everything brings. Generally, we have worn our wings and carried our sorrows, yet with this thing, spreading by God and another. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, chastisement for our peace was upon him. By his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth, that as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who was declared of his generation, for he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgressions of my people he was stricken. They made his grave with the wicked, with the rich and his poor. He had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord who loosed him, that put him to grief. When he made his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul, be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify him, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide them a portion with the great, he shall divide the spoil with the strong. As he poured out his soul on them, and he was numbered with the transgressor, he bore the sin of many, made intercession. That's just one of the traditions about Christ and his sufferings from the prophets. We go on. Then Zachariah was cut off, pierced, struck. But let's pause here to address those who are not Christians. Let's speak now to speak later in the morning. When we see Christ suffering through the scriptures, God opens our eyes. Something amazing happened. We see now how he was for our transgressions, our iniquities, and our sins that Christ was stricken, was smitten. This is at the core of the gospel. It starts with the bad man. We are the sheep of God's strength, gone in our own ways. But here's the good news. Was Jesus who stepped up as our son? Because he who has done no wrong, spoke no evil, was bruised, grieved, and led as a lamb to the slaughter. His life was not spent in vain, his soul was an offering for sin that satisfies the wages of sin, which is death and separation from God. Christ, the righteous servant, for our penalty of hell in our place when he was crucified. Buried in the rich man's tomb, he rose from the dead on the third day. Someday he'll return and all will know that he is here. Salt. Very good. Until then, all must turn away from self centered, self righteousness. Turn to Jesus and be justified by trusting in Him. There's nothing we can do to earn or deserve heaven. God saves us by grace alone, through faith alone, Christ alone. So the only way to be saved is to see Christ suffer in this way. Now, back to Luke, where the two 
disciples were seeing Christ suffering in the scriptures, guided by the Christ himself. Can you imagine the transformation in them? They were in rows, riveted. I wasn't going by. All what I would do to be in need, I was invited. And as they drew near the Emmaus, it was time for a second lesson. Though Christ with them in his true nature. Jesus still concealed after when he was going further. Cleopas and his companion insist that he stay with them. Not only was it customary hospitality, they were grateful for what they heard already on the road and wanted to hear more at the gate. At home, so far, everything feels like the beginning of a normal Sunday evening. But the Lord had greater plans for these two. In the middle of verse 3, there are some peculiarities. Normally, the host, not the guest, prays, breaks the bread, and starts the meal. Not here. And that's just the beginning of unusual events. Our Lord Jesus, as a human like us, had his particular gestures, intonation, voice, body movements. We're starting to surface. Also, consider how for the last two hours, Probably didn't get a close look at his face. Once in close quarters, they do. Maybe David got a glimpse of the scars on his wrist and knee. Those eyes under restraint now open for that day recognized him. But before Cleopas and his companion could react, he vanished from their sight, using the powers of his resurrection. It's him, all right, the one they loved and cherished, but it's different now. Death no longer has dominion over them. They realize that evening they unwittingly entertained, not an illusion, but someone so much greater than the angel. Cleopas and his friend got to know Christ's identity. But it's interesting that the Lord does not spend much time with them. Our Savior wants their faith to rest not so much on this unique experience of meeting Him after the resurrection, but much more on the Scriptures. It is the Scriptures that can transform from foolishness, not only the way of the Lord, to wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Moving through the pages of the Bible, our hearts for You see, that's what happens when our hearts burn for God through His Word. We can't help but tell others about it. Consider Jeremiah. One time he got sick and tired of persecution of God as a prophet. He thought about the quitting. He said in Jeremiah 20, verse 9. I will not make mention of them, nor speak any more in his name. But, but his word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding him back, and I could not. 
In the same way, the biblical process is compassionate, happy to tell others that they have seen the risen Lord, both through the Bible and through their own eyes. At least through the word, the testament of the Mayas, and proclaim Christ's resurrection to others. Two disciples discussed and agreed concerning the identity of the body of urgency. They rushed back to Jerusalem. They hurry as the sun sets behind them. The burning hearts provide the fuel for the muscles for a week. The day that began with lots and lots of running early ends with one more. When they arrive at the city, they locate the apostles and other disciples in some undisclosed location. We're told in John 20, 19 that the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Upon arrival, the two disciples reinforced the testimonies of the women, Peter before them. The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to some. They discussed their own encounter with Jesus on the way from Mason and the village. Now we're going to stop at this point and talk about the resurrection of Jesus. Number five, that's the Emmaus encounter turned out to be the first of many master classes taught by our master. As opposed to the resurrection. Through them, the apostles and disciples will be equipped to be witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. All in due time. Before Christ ascends and the Spirit descends, while they still have Christ with them on the earth, they'll need to listen carefully as he teaches them the scriptures. Today we sit here on a Sunday, 2,000 years after that resurrection Sunday. We're past the Pentecost. Many saints have gone before us to claim Christ's resurrection. But the mission continues. We have all that we need prophetic word confirmed, the sword of the Spirit, the word of God. Let's have confidence in it as we fulfill the great commission. Hope that this last song would be our anthem. By faith, the prophet saw a day when the long before Messiah would appear. To the power to break the chains of sin and death and rise triumphant from the grave. By faith, the church was called to go. The power of the Spirit to the lost, to deliver captives and to preach the news in every corner of the earth. What we think about Yourself, and the work remains. We have in our own, we have to do 
Thank you. 